Welcome to Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. This podcast is for people who want to learn how to thrive with a disability. It is also designed to share insights for those who have friends or family with a disability. Brad Gabrielson, our host, was born with cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair for mobility. He is a North Dakota native and believes life is about managing challenges with understanding, mental toughness, and determination. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Living with the Disability No Big Deal podcast. My name is Brad Gabrielson. Our guest today is a representative from Rollerop, our major sponsor. His name is Greg Moore. We're going to be talking about um, Lou Gehrig's disease or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. How are you doing, Greg? I am doing absolutely stunning. In fact, if I was any better, I'd be twins. It's a great day to be to be alive uh, because sure. I'm above the dirt and I'm not pushing up daisies. It's a great thing. Well, you know, uh, amyotrophic sclerosis or uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, also referred to as ALS, right? Yep. Okay. Now, you have a little bit of personal experience with this yourself. You want to tell the folks a little bit about what your exposure to it is, Brad? My my mother had it back in the 70s. She was, at the time, was one of the very few women that get it. And she was one of the first women in North Dakota to get it. So Really? And, um, yeah. And so, of course, when Dad told us about it, um, it Dad took her to Florida for some treatments and stuff like that. But he also told us that there's no cure. And uh, so she was going to pass away. So, but, but he didn't know how long she would be, be with us. But he prepared us for the, you know, the end results. And, uh, but it was still tough. But it seemed like when, when mom just got the disease, it seemed like one day... This is my experience. It seemed like one day she could walk. The next day she went on a cane or a crutch. You know, walk normally, I should say. You know, one day and then was on a cane or a crutch. It was like a progression. And then in a wheelchair. So, you know, and then dad came to me one day and said, you know, why don't you talk to your mom and uh, let her know it's okay to be in a wheelchair. So I went and talked to her about it. She said, well, number one, I don't feel right being in the wheelchair. Number two, I don't like to be stared at. And number three, I don't want people, uh, people to feel sorry for me. What was so, number three, Brad? It kind of broke up there. Um, then she didn't want people to feel sorry for her. Didn't want to have, didn't want any sympathy. Right. She was a proud woman. And very proud. And so, and then I explained to her that, number one, who cares if people look at you? You're a special person. You know, 
Number number two, um, a wheelchair will be your legs for now on. And number three, you can make wheelchairs pretty colorful. So, so talking to her kind of helped her a little bit to maybe not feel maybe some uh, perspective, maybe because you're in you were in the chair at the time, weren't you? Yes, I was. And she, but she was a very independent woman. She, um, what, you know, before she got the disease, she took me to therapy, physical therapy every day. So. You know, and she used to um, did a lot for the or the Cup Journal School, and so um, she she was in did a lot for the for the school back then. So, but um, and then she lasted for maybe a year and a year and a half to two years tops. She died in seventy seven. The age of 30, uh, 36, I believe. Wow, 36 years old. Yeah, because I was 17 when she passed away. So do you know uh, about when she uh, got the uh, disease or how old she was? Uh, yeah, approximately maybe, 30, maybe 33 she started to get it. I, I can't say for sure, but... It, you know, I know we had, I know we had a big benefit concert because I remember it because the Civic Center, that, we were the first benefit concert in the Civic Center. It was brand new. James told me it was brand new. Mm -hmm. And we were the first uh, benefit concert for Audrey Gabrielson. Let's get into a little bit about actually what it is, because a lot of people have heard of ALS. But again, what it is. Well, this is according to the ALS.org. Uh, let me just share that with you, Brad. I know, uh, sorry about the, uh, the uh, listening audience. ALS, or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, is a progressive neurodegenerative disease, disease that affects nerve cells in the brain and the spinal cord. So right there, we, we stop right there, Brad. That sentence is the same as multiple sclerosis. Pretty much. <laughs> a disease that affects nerve cells, nerve cells. Actually, MS is nerve fibers. Yeah. Amyotrophic. So there is a little different. Yeah. Amyotrophic comes from the Greek language. A means no. Myo refers to muscle, no muscle, a myo. Trophic means nourishment, a no, no muscle nourishment. So basically it starves the cells to death. Yeah, that essentially what you said it, it says when a, when a muscle has no nourishment, it atrophies or wastes away. Lateral means identifies the areas in the person's spinal cord where portions of the nerve cells that signal and control the muscles are located. 
as this area degenerates, it leads to scarring or hardening in the region called sclerosis. Okay, scarring or hardening. So sclerosis would be a lesion then. So arterial sclerosis, yeah. right? Hardening of the what? Arteries. Multiple sclerosis essentially just means a lot of lesions. A lot of areas where they're scarring and hardening. A little bit more in depth here, which is interesting. Motor neurons reach from the brain to the spinal cord and from the spinal cord to the muscles, right? Pretty simple. Neurons, brain cells, brain to the spinal cord, spinal cord out to the muscles throughout the body. The progressive degeneration of the motor neurons in ALS eventually leads to their demise. When the motor neurons die, the ability of the brain to initiate and control movement is lost. With voluntary muscle action progressively affected, people may lose the ability to speak, eat, move, and breathe. The motor nerves that are affected when you have ALS are the motor neurons that provide voluntary movements and muscle control. Examples of voluntary movements are making the effort to reach for a smartphone or step off a curb. These are actions controlled by the muscles. There are two different types of ALS, sporadic and familial. Sporadic, which is the most common form in the US, accounts for 90 to 95% of all cases. It may affect anyone, anywhere. Familial ALS or FALS counts for five to 10% and means the disease is inherited. In those families, there's a 50% chance each offspring will inherit the gene mutation and may develop the disease. The disease was discovered in 1869. Okay, so, you know, I know that, uh, well, Stephen Hawking had ELS, Stephen, physicist, uh, Dr. Stephen Hawking of the wormhole yeah. fame. Right. Um, he, he has lost it, but he, was, he lived with it for 15 years, wasn't it, or something like that? It seems he lived quite a long time. I only knew him when he uh, was in a wheelchair. Yeah. But they had a uh, movie about him. So. They had a movie about it. Yes. About him, yeah. Is that right? Yes. And could you share what that was called, Brad, for the audience? I uh, I can't remember, but I know I said uh, I I, uh, uh, I ran across it on 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 I think it was on uh, Netflix. Again, uh, referencing this time the Mayo website, it sees it says that uh, doctors usually don't know why it occurs. It often begins with muscle, muscle twitching and weakness in a limb or slurred speech. Eventually, ALS affects control of the muscles needed to speak, eat, and breathe. There is no cure, and it's fatal. So twitching, twitching yeah, and know, weakness. Yeah, I know when my mom had, had it, um, her, she had 
her Nordan Zwolling's Nordan's Zwolling food and stuff like that. And her, and she couldn't use her hands very well. And we had to help her get dressed. You know, dad had to help her get dressed. And she had trouble swallowing. Uh, and basically, basically all the last years and crying, laughing and yawning. What was that? Different things that, different things that, uh, uh, you know, she was kind of moody. She, she really put down the dumps, you know. Well, it says here cognitive and behavioral changes. Yes. And slurred speech. Yep. Inappropriate crying, laughing, or yawning. Yep. Did you yep. experience that as well? Yep. It says here that it often starts in the hands, feet, or limbs, and then spreads. Yep. So is that kind of what happened there? Yeah, she had to wear a, a leg splint. You know, one of those plastic things, you know, you put your foot in, in and you use Velcro, put them, the Velcro tight so it stays in place. You know, I knew a gentleman, I, my former boss at a company I used to work with years ago, he got ALS. And I remember seeing him, he ended up like Christopher Reeve, you know, with a breathing tube. Oh, yeah. And he essentially passed away. But when he was still, um, when I heard about it, I saw him at a baseball game with his wife. And he was walking, but his arms had become like rubber so that he, his gait was affected a little bit, but his arms would swing around from side to side because there was no, I mean, there was no muscle left in them. They were just flopping around. What was he when your friend died of Lugier's disease? Well, when he got it, he probably was in his 30s. And he died, he probably was, well, I'm trying to think now, you know, time is something that gets away from you. Because the last time I saw him was at a uh, Freedom Resource Benefit uh, annual thing. I think you were there too. And he was older than me. So he would have been probably 50 and maybe he got it when he was say 40. So 10 years, I think, I think. Wow, that's, that's pretty good then. I can't be sure, but I mean, he certainly wasn't an old man when he died. You know, 50 years old or something, or that's yeah. pretty young. That's the M30 nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, two young kids, and or they weren't young. I suppose they were college or high school graduated, but I remember they were quite young when he, when he got it. So I, I think he did live quite a long time, but. But uh, slowly he uh, progressed and indeed at the end, you know, you're in a wheelchair, power wheelchair that his wife, I think his wife worked the controller even, you know, I don't know that he could work the controller even, you know, when it gets to that point. So. Yeah. If you can get them now that you're going to uh, download them onto your phone and you, you can run them by your cell phone now. So the chair, so. Well, are there ways to run it outside of using the fan controller? 
Yeah, so you can run it on uh, your cell phone. But what if you can't use your hands to mobilate? Well, um, the person that's with you can run it off their cell phone. Oh, boy, that's got to be creative. Oh, very. But it's pretty scary as far as the, I would think it would be pretty scary as far as the person writing and then especially when you're not used to uh, the person can't use the, um, you know, but it's like to be in the chair, you know, like, I would never let anybody run me with a cell phone. <laughs> nope. Well, when you're in the chair, then you're not in control of where you're going. So you really are putting your trust in somebody else. Yes. And uh, the learning curve could be smashing into furniture or windows or people. Uh, people running over people, dogs, small animals, pets. Yep. Um, yeah, I, uh, I could imagine that would really be a learning curve. You know, I don't know. His wife was so nice. Um, he was sitting at another table and I didn't go over there and talk to him. I feel ashamed about that now. I mean, he was my boss and he was a really good guy. Mm -hmm. And I may have not gone over there because I may have been uncomfortable or not knowing what to say. And that's terrible. Well, don't feel bad. There's a lot of people that feel that way. I mean, uh, there's some things you, you like to say, but you don't know how to go about it. <laughs> you know, so, you know. Well, I shouldn't have felt, I shouldn't have felt uncomfortable because, you know, I mean, we had a good relationship uh, the whole time, you know, that I was at the company and we, we golfed together on, uh, on sometimes during the day and um, goofed around, good natured, good humored guy. I don't know why that I didn't go over there and say, hi, Al, because he had a machine where he was like, uh, I think he worked it with his eyes, you know, for typing yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so his brain would have been just fine. His brain would have been just fine. I could have talked about old times or something. Mm -hmm. uh, I just, I'm so ashamed that I didn't go and talk to him. But maybe I've learned uh, a lot in the past eight years, I think, about disabilities and about being uncomfortable myself talking to people who have disabilities. Well, I can, I, I can tell you this, uh, you know, over the past couple of years now, you've come a long way as far as, you know, being able to do the podcast with me and uh, being able to come up with the right questions at the right time. Um, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of, uh, you know, I don't know if it takes, you know, you have, you just don't know what to say, and uh, most of us that are in the disabled community, um, we just want to be um, friends with everybody. I mean, that you know, that's the name of the game. We want to be included, and so I think you come a long ways because I think uh, we both 
we both learned a lot about ourselves as far as I stutter when I talk and get better at it, you know, and so I think you're getting better at learning yourself, um, the subjects that we tackle and stuff like that. I think we learn both of us are learning, you know, a um, learning curve that we haven't really thought about before, maybe, and uh, I think that's helpful. Well, I think the point of that is that it shouldn't be scary to be able to go up and just say hi to somebody, or maybe you know them, maybe you don't. Uh, you know, how are you today? How are how's your day going? Um, even though they may be disabled, they people have to realize that. I mean, I mean, I was probably guilty of it too then, but people have to realize that. You just, the thing is just act normal. Yep. Act like you normally would. Yep. Act like you normally would. Don't act like, oh God, I feel so bad for this person. Right, right. It's like, I always, I always tell people, uh, treat them like you would like to be treated. Say hi. You know, because that's probably the highlight of their day is someone, you know. Well, good. Yeah. And I mean, it's very rare that with many of these diff these uh, challenges, diseases, uh, defects, if you call them, affect the brain, really. Mm -hmm. So people are going to talk different, look different, walk different, act different. Uh, but I think for the most part, are just the same as everybody else. I mean, most of the, with most of these, it's not really where you become like a zombie or you can't think, or you can't, you know, talk. It's just affects, you know, parts of the brain or the nerves or the muscles or the, but it's typically leaves the brain intact for the most part. Yeah. That's usually the last thing that goes is the brain. And I think that's what people need to probably be aware of is like, look, people that have a disability, they're not dumber or they're not dumb. They're not stupid. Don't look at them as, well, they're not probably not very smart because look at them, you know, but that's really a bad, a bad way to, to look at it or to have that thought process. And I think Seems like people would rather just walk around somebody instead You're of having a confrontation right. with them. You're absolutely right because uh, because they they don't know uh, what you know. They look uh, first impressions are a big deal. Okay, yeah, we look different. Yes, and we may. Uh, look, uh, you know, our gait might be different when we walk. I know um, our friend Ted, I mean, his gait is different than same way with Kevin, you know, and but boy, are they smart as a whip. And so, yeah, the same way with people with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. I mean, my, when my mom passed away, I 
I asked the doctor, what was the last thing that went? And he told me it was her, it was her uh, brain. Her brain was the last thing, you know, did I see? She knew everybody that was in the room. So, you know, that part, that's, that's the last to go. And usually, um, in most cases, that's the case. So, so um, you know, but, but I think that's where uh, it's up to the handicapped community, no matter, like in Jamestown, we have a small uh, mayor's committee. And so... A what committee? We have a small mayor's committee, you know, and they, you know, they're pretty, pretty small, but when you go into Bismarck or Grand Forks or Fargo, it's a little bit bigger, so we, you see more handicapped people out and about, more so than you do here. I don't really? know why. I don't know why, but I would, I would think that maybe, I would think that maybe, um, I would have thought maybe because of the Ann Carlson Center here in Jamestown, that maybe um, that maybe uh, that maybe we um, uh, would be a little more um, more uh, out there. You know, people would uh, recognize us and uh, treat us with a little more respect, but that's not the case. Back in when I went to school, when it was the Carlson School, it was the total opposite. We could go anywhere in town, and people were were willing to help us. Now, just like you know, really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the way I feel. You know, there was more camaraderie camaraderie when I, when I went to high school you know amongst the people and amongst the high school kids that we we mingled with than there is now I think wow that's strange to hear I don't know why but that's the feeling that I I got um, so that's the way I look at it. So um, I really feel I really feel that way. But maybe it's because of the whole um, of the whole uh, idea of you know let's put them away in a nursing home where we don't have to worry about them anymore. I mean. That's the way I feel. Um, yeah. Thank God we didn't have to put mom in the nursing home. Thank God we didn't have, you know what I'm saying? Thank God she got to live her life the way she did. So, so that's... that's well, way. that's a blessing every time that can happen, so... Yeah, yeah, because it seems like once you put them in the nursing home, they're there. They don't live long anyway, most of the time, so... Well, I think it's a shorter amount of time. Yes. I mean, 
you kind of have a, maybe a, a loss of will, yeah. you know, to really live a long time. Yep. So, but I'm not, I, I'm not trying to downgrade the, there's a time and the place for nursing homes. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is that's not always the first place. You know, I'm glad, that's why I'm glad that there's um, places like Easter Seals and stuff like that, where they come into your, where they come into a place and help you get up in the morning and stuff like that. That makes you feel more independent, I think. Um, those services are so valuable and beneficial to yeah, and I think community. That's what, I think that helps a lot of people um, with when people come in and help, uh, even with people with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, I think, you know, that makes them uh, be more determined to live longer because it, it seems like if you're determined, you know, and you don't give up hope, you obviously live longer. I yeah, think. that's the key. If you lose hope, then I think that changes everything. You betcha. You know what? Is there? Um, I know there. There's a few. Uh, there's a football player from the um, for the New Orleans Saints. He used to play. Um, he's got Lou Gehrig's disease. You know, I can't remember his name right off the double head. Maybe you got it, Greg. Um, um, yeah, well, I had heard about that uh, NFL football player that had gotten Lou Gehrig's disease. And I think you were telling me that somehow this gentleman by the name of Steve Gleason. Yeah, that's it. I think uh, he's actually is it was a Saints icon. Um, yeah, is he still alive or isn't he? In June he was. Uh, wait a minute. Saints icon Steve Gleason honored on Lou Gehrig Day. Rivers tosses first pitch. He's got a son named Rivers Nine, actually. Yeah. Throughout the first pitch at a Cubs game, New Orleans Saints legend, according to MSN, an ALS advocate was honored at Cubs Wrigley Field with his nine-year-old son, Rivers. It was Lou Gehrig Day on June 21st. Mm -hmm. Is everybody in the whole uh, major league, uh, base, uh, baseball major leagues, wore uh, honored Lou Gehrig that day or that whole week? So that was kind of cool. Well, Lou Gehrig, it's where it's kind of named after, was a Yankees pitcher back in the 30s. He had that, that famous speech where he uh, said that uh, he was retiring, quote, to a bad break and an ALS diagnosis. Uh, before he said that, he was, quote, the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And so two years after that speech, he died in 1941. He was only 37 years old. Um, it says he will be honored on June 2nd each year across the baseball landscape going forward. And once again, to recap, this is from Major League Baseball. ALS gradually prohibits the brain from communicating with the body and loved ones. And then, uh, 
also, well, I, I know that there's a Ken Herbeck's father, I believe, had Lou Gehrig's disease. That's the way Lou Gehrig's disease as well. Well, that's pretty powerful stuff. Um, Steve Gleason, he's uh, obviously still alive. But Lou Gehrig, you know, they called him the Iron Man. Yes. Because he had set a record for how many consecutive games he played without missing a game. And going back to this uh, NFL football player, this uh, Steve Gleason, he said that uh, 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with ALS. ALS is a remorseless and humiliating disease. But at this moment, I feel a profound sense of gratitude, meaning and responsibility in my life to help other people who are living with ALS. I'm grateful to be speaking to all of you today. Uh, his diagnosis was in 2011. So he's been uh, living with ALS for 10 years. Yeah, they called, uh, they called Gehrig the Iron Horse. Remember that? Yes. The Iron Horse. Well, that's what they, that's what they say. That, um, some of it because, because of the blows they taken, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I know it affects some, uh, um, um, some aspect of the brain, like uh, maybe uh, where you lose your memory. When you go back a few years, um, what's it called? Um, Dementia? Yep. And, and, and it might lead to, um, in some cases, it could lead to uh, um, Alzheimer's. But basically dementia, I believe. There's another former NFL star, too. He was 30. Uh, says is the latest, this was back uh, from ABC News, this is back in 2016, 2014, it said he, a year ago he was playing football with the Tennessee Titans in the NFL, now he's battling ALS. 30 years old, uh, he got the disease diagnosed when he was 30 years old, and it says Shaw is the latest NFL player to be diagnosed with ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's, joining former New Orleans Saints safety, Steve Gleason former Baltimore Ravens linebacker, O.J. Brigantz, and former Philadelphia Eagles fullback, Kevin Turner, to name a few. Here's some stats. ALS is considered a rare disease affecting an estimated two in every 100,000 Americans each year. But some studies suggest football players have a higher risk. With one 2012 report finding NFLers were four times more likely to die from the disease. Some evidence points to a higher risk among soccer players as well. It remains unclear whether exercise is indeed a factor and what type of exercise may be of concern, noting that pesticides or some other chemical encountered on maintained playing fields may be involved uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, which is a neurodegenerative disorder linked to concussions, also shares symptoms with ALS. So they really don't know if it's the pesticides on the playing field or whether it's the exercise or, or what it is. But I just said that NFLers 
we're four times more likely to die from the disease. Yeah. The uh, question was, uh, the interesting question is, does athleticism set the stage for motor neuron degeneration? Or does that same property that makes a person a great athlete also make them susceptible to the disease? Uh, most people with ALS are between the ages of 40 and 70, and only 25% of them are alive five years later. Yep. Like in North Dakota, um, um, they thought when, when mom had it, they thought it was because of the pesticides in the fields, you know, that the perm was used. And that may have had some bearing on it. It could have, yes. It could have. Dwight Clark got ALS from the 49ers? I heard something about it. 2017. From dailymail.co.uk, do football injuries cause ALS? As 49ers legend Dwight Clark reveals his diagnosis, we explain the mounting evidence that the NFL is refusing to acknowledge. Dwight Clark wrote Sunday that he's experiencing a loss of muscle strength. The 60-year-old San Francisco 49ers tight end is unable to walk or run. He's best knowing for making, quote, the catch in the 1981 NFC Championship game. Dozens of NFL players have developed ALS, fatal disease that attacks the spinal cord with three to 10 years. They have uh, kind of been on the NFL in a little bit of a battle. Um, when the report came out from the CDC, that uh, they were more, four times more likely to, to die than uh, the non-NFL uh, players. Two in 100,000 people. To me, that seems like more than rare. It does, doesn't it? If it was a rare disease, I would think it'd be like two out of 500,000. Yeah, but it's still considered very rare i don't know mm -hmm. i know it's very very hard to watch your loved one die but i'm just being honest it's like you know it's like bam where did that come from you know yeah it changed their life i know that well, when you go to talk about diagnos diagnosing either, he said weakness in his left hand in 2015 made him think something was wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, doctors initially diagnosed him with a B12 deficiency, yes. which can mirror ALS symptoms. Did you know that? Yes. Didn't you say that about your mom that uh, mm -hmm. you thought it might be a vitamin B deficiency? Yes. Um, it says eventually he lost feeling and control in his right hand, lower back, legs, and abdominal muscles, which led to his diagnosis. He's now unable to walk or run. Uh, boy, it sure seems like it's a struggle to uh, get the actual diagnosis. Yes. <laughs> it's, um, oh, it's under, they got it under the umbrella of, um, muscular dystrophy but it's a whole total it's a whole 
it's a it's a beast of its own as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So well, sort of, I guess. Not not exactly. I don't really know what you mean exactly, no. Well, like like M- MS are muscular dystrophy. Um they they don't live very long either, but it's when I guess the way I, I mean, I was young when I was only about in my teens when, when my mother passed away. But for what I remember, it's like one month she was able to walk, the next month it seemed like she was in a wheelchair, was being with, with, with muscular dystrophy. It's more gradual, you know, it's, it's not as fast moving as this Lou Gehrig's disease. Was or is, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it seems like it was a lot faster than mus- muscular dystrophy is, as far as that's concerned. I don't know, maybe it's because I was young and I did, young and dumb, I don't know, but. <laughs> That's what it seemed like. It was really super fast. The diagnosis and the she became disabled. I mean, she couldn't dress herself. She couldn't shower herself. She couldn't feed herself. She couldn't do anything. You know, it's like she went from a perfectly able um, bodied person that was active to a to a person that didn't couldn't hardly do anything, you know what I mean? So, and I, I guess that's the frustrating part of the disease. It happens quickly. Well, it certainly had to be hard to uh, hard to be a part of, hard to see. I can't imagine uh, what that would mean. But uh, was she once she got into the wheelchair? Was she ever? Did she ever remiss so that she was out of the wheelchair, or was that kind of the beginning of uh, not being able to? Well, she missed the fact that she couldn't get. You know, she she used to be a singer for a group called the J Notes, and when she got this disease, she couldn't do that anymore, and she couldn't. It didn't seem like, uh, and then all of a sudden she didn't want to be on public language. So that was tough on her, I think, because of the fact of, you know, because of the disease maybe, I don't know. I think the fact that her being in a wheelchair really bothered her too. And she had a pretty young daughter. My sister Amy, she was only 10 when when uh, mom died. So well, how long did she have the disease, Brad? Oh, about uh, if I remember right, well, maybe uh, three years, maybe from the time it seemed like really quick. That's what I mean. It seemed really quick because very progressive time. From the time the diagnosis until she passed away in 77, 
it seemed like pretty quick, pretty quick, because um, well, back in the 70s, that was 40-something years ago, maybe we, obviously we have less research back then as we do, we have more now. We have more medicine that might help now. You know, because you were saying people didn't be 10 years. That wasn't the case with moms. That was really quick. Well, I think it progresses differently in different individuals, but certainly there is more medication now that is claimed to uh, slow the progression of the disease. It doesn't cure it, but there's probably more therapeutics now than there was before back in the old days where you kind of just, uh, I mean, you just, you just dealt with it and that was it. I mean, so mm -hmm. certainly if it was a case where it progressed faster in her, there wasn't the availability of the therapeutics or the, or the pharmaceuticals to, to, uh, to extend the life. And, you know, that, that goes to the question of do you, or would you want to extend your life in that condition? That's another question that somebody might ask. This is true. Um, I think if, uh, in the, like in the cases of the, the football players that you're talking about, like the guy from, uh, what's the guy, Steve? Steve Gleason is uh, yeah, was the Saints guy, yeah. Yeah, he's, he, he's probably doing a lot of um, educating and a lot of speeches. Uh, you know, and, and uh, educating the families on Lou Gehrig's disease. So he, he, he feels a need to get out there. So in this case, yeah, the longer you can give them life, and I would, and obviously, you never want to lose a family member anyway. So, I would say, I would say that you know, if mom had that choice back in in, in the seventies, and if she was able to be alive today, she would be. Let's see, she was thirty-eight. That would make her. Eating, uh, in her 80s right now, right? About. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know. Well, I, doesn't it, uh, hasn't Steve Gleason had it for 10 years now? Is that what we read? Yeah, that's what we read. And that's great. I mean, that's, I mean, it's not great that he's got the disease, but the great that he's still alive. Well, you know? yeah, because the, they gave him like two to five years, so. Exactly. So, in, in my in, in my mom's case, I think it was about three years. So, and if I ever had a chance to meet Mr. Greaser, uh, I would love to. I would love to. I would love to help him out. I would love to be able to um, tell my story if it, if he thought it would be helpful. Yeah. I would love to do that. Well, maybe someday. Well, we've certainly covered a lot of material here. Yep. Sure uh, certainly you've shared uh, some personal uh, moments. You've shared your experience uh, having a family member, of course, indeed a mother that, that uh, 
had this ugly, evil disease that uh, just saps a person of their ability to be anything like they were before in a physical way. It was really weird. I just thought of something. Um, she never got to see me graduate. She, she never got to see or meet Amber or Zach, my kids. And, and even, even my brother's kid and yeah. my sister's kids. She missed on it a lot. It's tough. Very tough to have to deal with that fact. But on the other hand, I think we all made her proud. Well, certainly not meeting their grandma was uh, something that obviously must have hurt meeting her Zach and Amber not having a chance to see your your kids as proud as she was of you she she certainly would have been proud of of the grandkids and not having a chance to see them I, I'm sure hurt uh, hurt a lot yeah but she's in a better place so we'll get to see her again someday yeah, that's certainly true. It just kind of sheds light on what it's like for a family member living with, uh, you know, living with someone who has the disease. And certainly it's an emotional subject. It's brought up some raw feelings today. And, um, you know, certainly understandable that the hurt is still there, even if it's been this long. You know, nobody likes to lose a, a family member to the disease and certainly before their prime. So it's certainly understandable where you're coming from, where these emotions are still a bit raw. Yeah, but G-Wiz has been 40 years ago. 40-something years anyway. You would you never forget. It's... I'm sure the memory is just as clear as it was. Yep. Well, certainly it's something that everybody's heart, I'm sure, just goes out to you and people that have family members who are living with this disease. And it's certainly a tough one to come to grips with and to bear. It certainly takes a lot of uh, emotional strength, you know, to to give care to somebody that uh, really can't do anything for themselves at, you know, at a certain stage. So it takes a lot of love. That's for sure. Yeah. And it really is, you know, the time that you really reflect back is on every mother's day because mom's gone. My, my fiance Polly's gone. The mother went, the two kids, you know? So that's the hard part. So yeah, she's not able to see, you know, her grand her uh, grandkids. 
uh, you know, that have been born. Your kids, your grandkids, Zach's grand grandson. Granddaughter. Granddaughter, Zach's granddaughter. Yeah, she would have been very proud of her. Oh, yeah. So she's about going to be two years old next April. So, well, yeah, two years old. Yeah. So, um, Paisley and so. She's, she's running around. Like, no problem. So, yeah. She got, um, I know Zach and uh, Crystal got hands full. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's that's for sure when you got a young young on in the house. Yep. Well, Brad, look, thanks for sharing everything today. Uh, certainly some personal stories. I mean, it's definitely not hard to talk about, but you've been really open. I think people are going to learn a lot about what it is like to have to kind of go through that process and kind of how the process plays out, how it affects people. I've certainly learned a lot uh, on this podcast uh, about the disease, you know, and how it, how it works, how it affects the brain and the spinal cord. And that uh, basically uh, no nutrition, no muscle nutrition. That's essentially the, the down and out, the quick and dirty of it is that there's just no muscle nutrition. There's no brain, no nerve power. And you just essentially just degrade until you're, you're just nothing but a brain. So, right. um, but I think the folks are going to take a lot of inspiration from it, uh, from learning about your mom and her strength and stuff. But uh, perhaps uh, if you have any closing thoughts, we can probably. Well, if I'm sure if they have any other questions, they can find it out on um, the muscular dystrophy a foundation website or the ALS. Yeah. Or, or ALS website. Um, if you have any questions on it or want to learn more. Um, so um, you can certainly, you know, we're throwing this out there that, uh, you know, Brad has an email address. He has a phone number. The phone number is seven zero one two five, two, eight, five, six, Oh, seven Oh one, two, five, two, eight, five, six, Oh, or, Email, email questions and whatever suggestions, anything you'd like to hear from you. It's B as in boy, G girl. So B-G Marlboro, M-A-R-L-B-O-R-O, B-G Marlboro, just like the cigarettes, at gmail.com. So thanks for opening yourself up for uh, for conversation, Brad. Yeah, and... Uh... I'm, I'm also available for some public speaking if it, if, it, if the uh, situation arises and uh, you know, so. well now that we're kind of out of COVID that yeah uh, if anybody's interested uh, for to have uh, you out there Brad to talk about disability issues and what it's like and what it means and how people respond to it and just opening up the subject for discussion Thanks for throwing that out there that you're willing to you're willing to do some speaking as well. So Oh sure. That's that's the name of the game. The more we educate the people, the more um, more people will understand where we're all coming from, you know. Yeah. So you know, so if if I can help out in any way, I will do that. All right. So, okay. Okay. Well, we better sign off now and uh, 
Thanks, Greg, for being here today. And um, thanks, folks, for listening to another episode of Living with a Disability No Big Deal podcast. My name is Brad Gableson, and we'll talk to you soon. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living with a Disability No Big Deal, sponsored by Rolleramp. This podcast features Brad Gabrielson, who encourages everyone with a disability to live life to the fullest. Rolleramp is a global company based in North Dakota, dedicated to helping people find solutions to accessibility needs. We hope you'll join us again next time on Living with a Disability No Big Deal.